exurga deus discipentur inimici eius, et fugiancio deruntium a facia eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered, and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. I want to give a hat tip to Steve at Census Fidelium for the most recent Clown Planet news, which raises, well, he didn't raise a question. I'm going to raise the question. Because there's some data that seem to indicate that the the so-called vaccine is actually fueling a 21st century AIDS epidemic. Let me go ahead and say that again, because it's going to be a little bit difficult to wrap your noodle around. There is a possibility, based on some recent data that seems to be developing, that the COVID-19 so-called vaccine is fueling a 21st century AIDS epidemic. Now, I'm not going to make any conjecture. I'm not going to make any assessments. I'm going to lay out some data that we already know to be true. And then I'm going to ask the question and I'm going to leave it to you to answer the question. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Archangelo, defende nos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias diabolias do praesidium. Imperet ilideas supplicas de precamor, tuque princeps militae calestis, satanam aliosque spiritus malignos que ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum de trude. Amen. Mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Domine ostende facem tuum et salvi erimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. Nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. <clears throat> so, there is a video on uh, floating around YouTube. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. It is called Positively False. The program that never got shown, it's on the channel Question Everything. I would honestly recommend that you take a look at the video and ask yourself some questions. What is most definitely certain is that the data that they, that everything that they talk about is definitely worth asking some very tough questions because we have been sold by the CDC and by the U.S. government and by Pfizer and Moderna and and GlaxoSmithKline and Johnson & Johnson and all of these pharma companies. We have been sold the idea for the last 40 years, the idea of the AIDS epidemic. We have been sold that sexual promiscuity, and let's be real, sexual promiscuity is obviously not healthy, but we have been sold that the idea that sexual promiscuity, um, blood transfusions, intravenous drug use, etc., puts you at a high risk of contracting the, the HIV retrovirus, the human immunodeficiency virus. 
The problem is, is that in 1998, somebody got to asking some questions and those questions included, hey, wait a minute, nobody's ever isolated or genetically mapped the HIV virus. Now, I could be wrong since then. I mean, 1998 to 2022 is 24 years. I mean, it's almost a quarter century. Surely we must have done something since then. But that does raise the question, if there is no genome for the human, immu- for the human immunodeficiency virus, then how do you get AIDS? Seriously. If there is no HIV virus, if we don't have any physical proof that the human immunodeficiency virus exists, and here's the thing, I remember in the 90s as they were talking about it, well, it seems to mutate and it seems to change and it seems to be this perfect culprit that we just can't seem to get our hands on. We can't, we just can't seem to wrap, you know, to get, to actually get it. Like we develop a treatment or a vaccine or something, and then immediately it mutates and it becomes something else. And I remember that growing up as a teenager, as a young adult. In point of fact, you can't live the lifestyle that I lived, which was a thoroughly degenerate one, but you can't live the lifestyle that I lived through that time period and not have HIV and AIDS hovering over your head like some like some spectral sort of Damocles waiting to fall. And we've never mapped the genome. We mapped the human genome. We mapped the coronavirus's genome, you know, COVID-19's genome, much to the chagrin of a lot of scientists, because it seems to indicate some, you know, tampering but if there is no AIDS virus if there is no retrovirus that actually causes AIDS then what causes AIDS and this is especially an important question because current medical data is beginning to show that the fully vaccinated, those who are, you know, the first shot, the second shot, the third shot, maybe a fourth shot, the fully vaccinated are acquiring the immunodeficiency syndrome that we call AIDS, which by the way, stands for acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. Now, The video, Positively False, says that there's, you know, some fungal infections, some bacterial infections, and some other conditions like malnutrition and drug use, things that tamper with your body's biosphere that cause you to have the markers of HIV, and those things, much of which, if it goes untreated, will, will lead you to develop AIDS. Okay. Well, that raises some questions because if there's, you know, like lupus and leprosy and some of these other things that cause you to give the marker, that cause you to test positive for HIV, how many of those people 
seriously, how many of those people live long lives? Magic Johnson certainly comes to mind. If Magic Johnson tested HIV positive, I mean, he was sort of the shining star for anybody who had HIV, who was diagnosed with HIV, that managed to live a long and healthy, a long and healthy life. But if there is no virus that causes AIDS, then what causes AIDS? And this is where we start getting into the question. Because without a doubt, we know that the Centers for Disease Control, the National Institutes of Health, etc., all of those organizations have in fact been trying to figure out what causes AIDS. It's been on the docket. So now I'm going to ask a really uncomfortable question. We know that hydroxychloroquine, mefloquine, and other and, um, and other antibiotics with vitamin C and calcium and uh, quercetin and some other and some other vitamin supplements. We know that they allow you to prevent or just sort of glide past your, you know, a COVID-19 infection. We know that these treatments were lambasted by the government because if there, if these treatments did exist, then they could, then all of the people who were trying to push a vaccine, they wouldn't be allowed FDA approval because the FDA will not approve a vaccine for a disease that already has safe and effective treatments. By the way, I've said all of this in previous podcasts. This is all this is all legalese. The FDA simply doesn't do it because why would you even bother? If you can if you know that you can give somebody if you know you can give somebody a Z-pack and some ivermectin and a vitamin D supplement and get them through to allow them to breeze through infection infection from this coronavirus and its variants. If you know you can do that, then why wouldn't you just do that? It's far less expensive. Ivermectin, you know, Ivermectin won the Nobel uh, Nobel Prize in Science back in like 2005. Hydroxychloroquine has been in circulation since the 50s. Vitamin D, I mean, let's be real. The whole world has a vitamin D deficiency, especially if you live in the northern if in the northern climes. So if you could actually just take, you know, a multivitamin with most of what you need in order with most of what your body needs in order to be able to fight off infection, why wouldn't you just do that? I mean, surely a multivitamin would be far more far less invasive than getting, you know, two, three, four, five, nine, fifty jabs. Because that regulation's kind of built on the Nuremberg Code. We're not going to authorize this new radical, crazy medical procedure if you can just use more mundane means to stay healthy. 
And that's why they bashed ivermectin. That's why they bashed hydroxychloroquine. That's why they bashed all of the other things that all of the other treatments, all of the other things that came out because we had, it was like, oh, we've got this new disease. Well, we could try this. And rather than saying, hey, let's give this a shot. They said, no, that's crazy. You're trying to kill people. You want people to inject bleach into their arms and all sorts of other and eat horse paste. So here's the uncomfortable question. Given what we know about everything that they did in order to push the Comirnaty vaccine and its variants from Pfizer and Moderna, these multi-billion dollar corporations that have just actually finally broken their bank with the, with the largest profits in history, and Moderna, which has finally produced a product that managed to make it to market without, you know, killing a whole bunch of people, or so they say. What if all these people found out? What if the Centers for Disease Control, the National Institutes of Health and um, Health, uh, the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases, the uh, NIAID, the NIH and the CDC, what if they discovered what causes HIV and they put it in a needle and then they sold it to you? Or excuse me, not what causes HIV, but what causes AIDS. And they put it in a needle and they sold it to you as a protection against the coronavirus. What if the intent, what if it was the intent to afflict large portions of the human population? See, here's the thing. I remember in the eighties when they were saying that, that HIV was going to kill 5 million people a year. It never did, by the way. But what if they wanted it to? What if that was always the intent? Now, I'm not saying that Anthony Fauci wanted it to. But he's the perfect kind of idiot to be used for something like that. I know that you have the likes of Dr. Jane Goodall who believe that the appropriate level of human population on the earth should only be 500 million. So then the question is, is how do you get rid of the other 8 billion people? I know nobody wants to actually think that maybe these people don't have our best interests in heart. But when you look at what they're doing in trying to clamor for the preservation of the American empire in the case of the U.S. government, in trying to clamor for the establishment of a great reset in the case of all the Davos crowd, in trying to find a way to get for themselves immense cosmic power within the quote-unquote itty-bitty living space that is planet Earth. I think at some point it's time you ask a few questions. And I think here's the best place to start. Is a government 
inherently altruistic. Does a government inherently want what's best for its citizenry? And can you provide some examples where it's obvious that they actually want what's best for their citizenry, especially since the, you know, and we're just going to go since the French Revolution. Since the French Revolution, I mean, we could dial the clock forward a little bit and say since the mid-1860s, you could dial the clock forward some more and say at least since the progressive era. Because here's the thing. When has a socialist, Fabian socialist, national socialist, communist, Marxist, um, Americanist, when have they ever been fully altruistic? Has there ever been a point when the government has said something, has not said, well, in order to make an omelet, you may have to break a few eggs? When, when have we seen a government operate only for the benefit of its people without throwing somebody else under the bus? Can you say that you see it now? You know, we're using Ukraine as the lubricant in order to fight a war not necessarily a war like in the traditional form, but in order to stop Russia from managing to unseat the dollar as the world reserve currency. We're fighting to maintain our dominance because if we don't maintain our dominance, God forbid China manages to gain theirs. Yet, yet we're not willing to be do anything overt, but we're trying to undercut their influence where, whenever and wherever possible, while at the same time trying to gain the influence that they have in the case of, you know, many individuals. Bill Gates did an interview where he lamented the fact that Omicron did a better job at vaccinating the entire global population than all of the people who were actually working on vaccines. Sadly, quoting now, sadly, Omicron has done a better job in achieving herd immunity for the world than the vaccine program. Through the course of that interview, he also admitted that they now have millions, if not billions of doses extra that are now no longer needed. You've seen everything basically forced back into normal. I think Omicron was actually God's hand going, okay, guys, let's go ahead and show you what's really going on. Because everybody was still in the panic mode about COVID. And so you had the Delta and the Delta was scary. And then you had, what was, what was the other one? It was, uh, I forgot the uh, Delta Cron or whatever. I don't know. They were coming up, they were coming up with all sorts of crazy. 
But they hid the fact that COVID-19 itself, the disease itself, was a bioweapon. By the way, by the way, if you generate, if you try to create a disease that's lethal in humans, or at least can spread from human to human, that disease is inherently, the moment it comes out of a lab, whether you meant for it to come out of a lab or not, that is inherently a bioweapon. Okay. The disease itself isn't weaponized until it's used, but that doesn't stop it from basically being a microscopic gun. And by unleashing the bullets of COVID-19, even if by accident, you basic you basically say, well, we kind of meant to build this thing, but we weren't meaning for it to get out or whatever. And it doesn't actually matter because that would be the same thing as, in, well, as spending a lot of time working on the demon core, studying the demon core, and then having that demon core because you can't handle it properly having that demon core go critical and kill everybody in the room. The demon core itself was the core of a nuclear bomb. Just because it only accidentally killed some 50 or 60 people doesn't stop the fact that it was a weapon from the start. And COVID-19... And the government and the reaction of the governments to COVID-19 most definitely killed far more than 50 people. COVID-19 got released and then governments themselves turned into the bioweapon. And then the second half of the bioweapon, the vaccine, despite the fact that we had treatments, was unleashed. You have to take the vaccine. You can't just get the disease and recover from it and thereby be good. No, you have to take the vaccine. You have to have proof of the vaccine. You have to provide that proof in order to work. And the moment that you stand up against the mandates telling you that you have to take the jab, you have to have the jab to work. You have to have the jab to travel. You have to have, you have to have proof of the jab always with you. The moment you step out of line and you say, no, that's not the world we want to live in. We're going to take your money. We're going to freeze your bank account. We're going to lock you up. So that no matter what, at the end of the day, you have no choice but to take the jab. Take the jab and put yourself at risk. They're calling it VADES, Vaccine Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome. But it looks to me like they spent 50 years, 40 years, 50 years, studying AIDS and then finding out how to create it in a lab. That's what it looks like to me. It doesn't just look to me like a PSYOP. And the reason why it doesn't just look to me like a PSYOP is because let's take for a moment, you know what? Let's say Joe Biden honestly believes. We know Donald Trump honestly believes. We know he honestly believes. We know he's sold on it. Okay? So let's assume that Joe Biden is also sold on it. Who would you blame for convincing him? Who would you who would you blame for convincing Joe Biden and Donald Trump that the vaccine is absolutely the principal way to go? Is it Klaus Schwab? Donald Trump doesn't even like Klaus Schwab. Is it George Soros? 
Nobody likes George Soros. Is it the World Economic Forum? Meh, doubt it. I don't think, like, I have no doubt that the World Economic Forum probably convinced Joe Biden. But I doubt that the World Economic Forum convinced Donald Trump. So we have to look for who it is who convinced both of them. Who would you blame? Well, the responses have been obviously diabolical. Like you see the way people respond to this sort of stuff. When you ask these questions, people immediately start to, they honestly, like in a lot of cases, they look like they begin to demonically manifest. The veins start bulging out. You get tendons start sticking out. Their faces turn red. They take they take on they take on a whole visage of something that doesn't even look altogether human as they scream in your face that you must put the mask on. You must take the jab. I don't care if you ever die. You can die today if you don't want it. And that tells me that the one who convinced Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Is it, it's not Anthony Fauci, because eventually Trump would have just backed off and said Fauci was a bad guy. He had everybody convinced, and he's just a bad guy. How many times has he done that, where he's taken somebody who he thought was a good guy and then thrown them under the bus as a bad guy when he realizes he got conned? He thought John Bolton was a good guy when he hired him, and he didn't think John Bolton was a good guy when he fired him. So you have to ask yourself the question, Who is it who convinced Donald Trump that the vaccines are still a good idea? And I only have one answer. Lucifer. That's it. Because Trump has been close on a a lot of stuff having to do with the whole COVID-19 narrative and all that other crap, but he's been way off on other stuff. And it's been immensely difficult to actually find anybody who's willing to talk about the data that they've been able to accumulate to, to, or talk honestly about the data analysis. There's been lots of confusion. So we know that's clearly not from God, but it's been almost preternatural in the ubiquitous... I mean, think about this. How many media organizations across the world aren't willing to question the narrative? I mean, you have the obvious ones, the shills who are all about the team politics. Okay, but what about the rest? How come... We have to try and get some stuff from Rebel News, and then we have to try and get some stuff from One America News, and then we have to try and get some stuff from Newsmax, and then you have to get some stuff from Fox News, and some stuff from The Blaze, and some stuff from little YouTube channels that nobody's ever heard of, and some stuff from people people who people have, have heard of, like Alex Jones or Dell Bigtree. How come you have to go so far and wide and nobody has the whole narrative? Nobody has the whole thing where they've been able to collate it and say, this is our argument. But the entire opposite side of the argument is united without facts, without data, without any explanation, and without even so much as the slightest modicum of tolerance for anybody willing to ask any questions. Does that sound logical? Does that sound 
rational. Does that sound like the next question is how come that solid wall, when you do come at them with the data, when you do come at them with the analysis, when you do say, hey, stop, you've said this in the past. And so this is where your standard should be. So tell me if this matches that standard. And then you watch their brain shut down and you watch their face distend and you watch them begin to scream. Or put their ears or put their fingers in their ears and just be like, la, 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 I can't hear you. La, 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 la. Or most entertainingly, you watch their eyes go blank as their brain shuts down because you just put them into a cognitive loop. <laughs> That's the equivalent of your computer giving you the icon saying it's not responding. They say, and it's obviously true, that sin darkens the intellect. But where did we, like, seriously, where did sin come from? And that's the answer to all of these questions. They're such perfect lies. You buy them at first, they sound reasonable. And then the moment that the truth starts to come out, what happens? People don't walk toward the light. They run from it. That's not normal human nature. That's a life overtaken with diabolic influence. As traditional Catholics, we know this. The Protestants who are more traditionally minded, even if they can't put their finger on it, even if they can't name it, they know it. They have to know it. And when you're up against that, then the question that you actually have to ask yourself, well, there's a couple of questions. One, is the narrative that we were fed so many years ago about the development of the acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, AIDS. Was that sort of a medical primer? Something to get this whole engine started of the destruction of the human race? Did they spend all of those years developing a cure? Or did they spend all of those years developing a disease to act as the cure for what they consider the real disease, the existence of humanity? Because the COVID agenda and the climate agenda and all of the other little agendas that they have, when you take them all together, like when you look at that whole big pie chart, I can't even call that a pie chart. It's like... It's like a hyper-condensed spider web of all of the things that they want to do from COVID-19 to climate change, to equity, to all of their stupid little mantra things that they love to talk about. When you take that whole thing 
Each one of them has at their end the destruction of at least a segment of the human population. So when you take racial equity, this has as its end the destruction of quote-unquote whiteness. When you take climate change and it's talking about the eradication of all carbon pollution in, on Earth, that carbon pollution is the eradication of the human species that they're looking for. And they'll tell you about it because they're proud to tell you about it, even though when you ask them that final question, they'll look at you and go, well, that's not true. That's not what we want at all. We, and they will switch to we must preserve the planet for future generations, even though every plan around that spider's web wheel has the, has the intention of there being no further human generations. It's at the core of the transgender agenda, the LTBGT agenda, the Black Lives Matter agenda, communism, Marxism, socialism. It is at the it is at the ultimate terminus point is the eradication of the human race. And obviously, you have to start by taking out some of the more wealthy human beings who would just generally on their own be able to fight back. Why? Because you don't want them fighting back. You don't want them pulling up in your capital and parking their truck and shutting down your entire program. So you go through the rigmarole of convincing them that they must be peaceful, even as old women are being trampled by horses. That you must be peaceful, even as pastors are ripped out of their cars and carried off to prison for speaking out against the COVID regime and daring to defy the government mandate. They tell you that you must be peaceful even though they decided that they're going to execute the most perfect form of lawfare, which is to say that you will never be able to win in court. You will never be able to hold your elected representatives or any representatives accountable. You will never even be able to stand up properly against the law enforcement agencies that will be there and sent to destroy you, your family, your children, your home, your property, your life. And for good measure, now they've decided that they're even going to do the one thing that they always wanted to do, was, was, which was to make sure that you couldn't even pay to continue your life if you stood up against them. The ultimate cosmic power, control of your ability to do commerce because they forced you away from being self-sufficient. Now, I prefer to have solutions. I love solutions. I love being able to take a problem and dissect it and figure it out and then fix it. Replace the broken components, divert, maybe divert a particular flow that needs to be diverted in order to keep from overflow from flooding out a system. I am a mechanic. I used to be a mechanic of human nature. However, that kind of maintenance 
wasn't really maintenance. It was, in fact, destruction. How can I tell that these people are trying to destroy the Earth? Because, or excuse me, trying to destroy humanity? Because that was my freaking job. That's what they paid me to do. They paid me to physically force acquiescence. That is the nature of war. That is what war is, is to physically force acquiescence. And so I can recognize the tactics when I see them. So I have the solutions for you. I just can't give them to you. I have to draw you to them so you draw these conclusions on your own. If there is no peaceful means to fix this, then you have only one other option. You have to find out who these people are, and then you have to find the best, most efficient way to get them out of their positions of power. And notwithstanding that, you must develop a means. This goes into the diverting flow thing. You must develop a means separate from their institutions. So if that means barter, then we may have to go back to the barter system. They will eventually catch on that that's what's happening. They will notice that tens of millions of dollars is no longer floating floating through the system. And they will attempt to stop you by whatever means they deem necessary. And since we already know they're willing to trample people with horses and freeze bank accounts and seize people at three o'clock in the morning in their, pe- in their pajama jammy jams, then we know how far they're willing to go and how far you need to be willing to go to stop them. But I will tell you, there are some wrong ways to do it. You can be wrong as you build these systems, as you set up these functions, as you begin to assemble this resistance, you can be wrong. This is Radio Free Catholic. We have standards as Catholics. Ultimately, you're wrong if you're not getting close to the cross. The temporal and material mistakes that you can make, the material evils that you can commit, don't necessarily mean that they're going to be formal evils. They're only going to be formal evils if you forget to commit your cause to Christ and to surrender whatever the outcome of that cause is to Christ. Christ is king. He is the ultimate sovereign. He is the one who makes all the choices. So if it comes to physical warfare, if you feel, feel, if you have come to the conclusion based on the data that you must assemble some semblance of an army vis-a-vis the Cristeros, vis-a-vis the Vendée, if you have not committed that cause to the care of Our Lady, you will fail. You won't just fail. You will go to hell. 
Let me make that clear. St. Bernard of Clairvaux supported an anti-pope. He's still a saint. St. Bernard of Clairvaux preached the crusade. He is still a saint. Why? Because even though he could be mistaken based on his assessments in the world, the fact is, is that everything he did was committed, committed into the hands of Christ our Lord, into the hands of the Blessed Mother, the Virgin Mary. That's why he's still a saint. Because if you do all things ad maiorum dei gloriam, you can be mistaken about what you've done. And remember, we have this based on approved, church-approved testimony. St. Bernard did not go to purgatory. Such was his commitment to our Lord. So despite the mistakes that he made, despite being in, you know, material error, he did not go to purgatory. When he died, he went straight to heaven. Oh, I don't necessarily want to be wrong. I don't want to be wrong because what if God, this, that, and the other? Dear family, that's not how the divine economy works. Nobody doubts that the Cristeros were martyrs. Nobody doubts that the Vendée, by and large, were saints. Many of them probably, and in all honesty, I mean, let's let's apply what we know about Catholicism. Many of them went to hell, but some of them went to heaven. Some of them were living the lives they were supposed to live, and they went to heaven. They fought a war. They shed blood. They killed. And they went to heaven. Crusaders went to heaven. San Juan Capistrano, leader of the army, leader of the Christian armies in the Battle of Belgrade against the Ottoman hordes, Saint John of Capistrano. Led the army at the Battle of Belgrade. He was a priest and he was a, and he was a military commander. Just as much of a saint as Saint Perez de Luzo, or Santa Teresa de Avila, or Saint John Bosco or St. John of the Cross, or St. Francis of Assisi.
all of them, very, very different lives. But their sainthood was not determined by the things that they did on this earth. Their sainthood was determined by their commitment to the love of God. That no matter what they did, ad maiorum dei gloriam was the first principle. All things for the greater glory. Surrender yourself. Because what are you, mortal man, in the eyes of the infinite God? Are you not closer to the worm than you are to the angel? What could you possibly do to change God's will? So you want to be right about your decision? Your first decision needs to be devotion to our Lord. Your first, de- your first decision needs to be proper worship to our Lord. Your first decision needs to be prayer, penance, reparation. To go to Mass, to receive Holy Communion, to go to confession, to stay in a state of grace, to do all things for His glory. And then whether you're a commanding general of a battling army or the most decorated war hero or a cloistered nun or a quiet husband and father. The battle is for sainthood. God determines how the war comes out, but the battle is for sainthood. And your sainthood is what determines whether or not you win with Christ. So if you're going to commit yourself to taking up arms, don't half-ass. If you're going to commit yourself to prayer, don't half-ass. If you're going to commit yourself to charity and works and works thereof, don't half-ass. Because the worst thing that you can do in whatever it is that you choose is to be half-assed about your commitment. God will provide all of the perfection needed for your efforts if your whole heart and your whole mind and your whole spirit is in it. So whether we go into World War III or we fall into the zombie apocalypse or we just carry on with American prosperity as impossible as that does seem to be today. No matter what happens, it doesn't actually matter if the government lied about AIDS. It does kind of matter so this way you're not walking into something stupid completely unaware, but ultimately, oh, the government lied about AIDS. Well, I mean, we know they're liars. Oh, the government lied about coronavirus. Oh, well, hey, we know they're liars. Oh, they lied about the economy. Well, we know they're liars. They lied about Ukraine. We know they're liars. They lied about Donald Trump and Russia. We know they're liars. We know. As much as I would love to focus on all of these things, you must simply commit to upholding the Catholic principles that you've decided to keep the moment you swore your baptismal vow.
That's it. Everything else you leave up to God. You do the things that it looks like you must do. You do the things that it looks like you ought to do as a Catholic and as a Christian. And everything else you leave up to God. I'm going to be the greatest warfighter on earth. We have saints who were great warfighters. Know you not that even Samson made it into heaven, having killed a thousand men with a donkey jaw. Having fallen prey to the wiles of Delilah. Is he a great saint? I don't know. I don't know how that whole scale works in heaven. But we know that he is a saint. For all of his cockiness, all of his arrogance, all of his brashness, we know that he is a saint. Likewise, King David. Likewise, Gideon. What does that tell? What should that tell you? That should tell you that the circumstances don't really matter. It's your commitment to God that matters. You can go to war with Catholics on both sides, in both armies, fighting for what you both believe in. And you can fight a war against another Catholic. And both you and that other Catholic can be saints. Because the war is not what makes the saint. The holiness makes the saint. My biggest criticism about Catholics today is that they're not as worried about sainthood as they worried as they are about prosperity. And this includes me. This includes me. I'm slowly making preparations for the off chance that somebody decides to detonate a nuclear weapon close enough to the vicinity of my house to where I'll still be able to travel from place to place. It's a practical concern that assuming I survive the nuclear bomb or whatever it is that they use, that I'm still able to travel. But here's the thing, probably the important part. If I don't survive, but the capacity to travel passes on to someone else, then my job will be done. Because even if it's not for me to be able to actually use the device, Someone else can. The fact that the device exists is still generally a benefit. Why? Because it's not about me. Because ultimately, it's not about me. I can put this machine into operation, into full operation. I can get this thing fully operational. By the way, if you want to help, feel free to sponsor the podcast because I'm going to start taking a little, all you know, some of the extra money to try and get this thing up and fully up and running. 
I may even post pictures about it. Oh, support links. I mean, you can support the podcast either through Anchor or... Oh, Lord. Actually, at some point, I'm going to have to come up with another way to do that. Oi. All right. I'll get back to you on that. (laughs) But if I go to... If I I get this... If I get this automobile, because it is a car, if I get this thing fully up and running, reliably... And then I go out to my car or I step out of my apartment and somebody comes up and shoots me in the face and I die. I don't care. Or if I get to work and God decides that he's going to call me home by a massive heart attack or whatever. I don't care. We all die. What I care about is that if I do get called immediately, that I'm hoping that, you know, if I'm killed, I'm killed because it was because I'm a Catholic, because I expressed the faith. I'm more concerned about dying in a state of grace and taking my happy behind to heaven. I don't care about what I leave behind. It's not about how well we do. In truth, it's about how well we suffer. How good we're at, how good we are at it. And understanding that even that whether whether it's a blessing or a curse that comes your way or something that would generally be regarded as such, even if because I'm not talking in like the mystical aspect. If something is a blessing. Or if something is a curse and, and and is a drag and is a pain and is a point of and is a point of of dis, of suffering, it's all in how well you handle it. If you're a Catholic and you've taken the jab, and you end up being diagnosed with AIDS, are you going to waste time cursing? The fact that you got diagnosed with AIDS? Or are you gonna make rep or are you going to make yourself ready to die? What are you doing with your life knowing that your government may be out to kill you? knowing that the global elites want you dead. I mean, you can fight to stay alive and spit in their face, and that's cool. I love how every single podcast gets back to this same core principle. It's like, it doesn't really matter what's going on out there. This is actually what's really important. I almost sound like I'm saying the same thing. Well, I know I'm not saying the same thing over and over again, but I am talking about the same principle over and over again from from a different angle, but it's always the same principle. If you're not trying to get into heaven, then all of the other crap doesn't matter. Does it actually matter that they created a bioweapon to exterminate the human race? No. (laughs) 
It doesn't. You think this happened because God was like, hey, yeah, I think it'd be really great if I eradicated my my, my entire creation. No, you got to find ways to fight it. Why? Because suicide's not an option. And you really should not surrender to the suicide of your species, the suicide of your community, the, su- the suicide of your family. To surrender to the, like, and oh, hey, by the way, if you don't see it as suicide, if you see it as murder, if you're allowing yourself to fall, if or if you're fighting back. These are both valid standpoints. And that's really kind of the key thing that I want to, like, I want to actually draw through here. The reason why all of these things don't matter is because you should be aiming for sainthood. And so it doesn't matter if you're, you know, it doesn't matter if I become St. Caleb, the mechanic scourge of the World Economic Forum. Or if I'm St. Caleb, the mechanic mystic and contemplative monk. Or if I'm St. Caleb, the mechanic husband and father. Doesn't matter. My goal should always be that I do what I need to do in the eyes of God for him to call me friend. Because my only real concern is that if anybody ever actually does refer to me officially, that saint or blessed or venerable or servant of God or whatever the title be. But that title precede Caleb the mechanic. That's my ultimate concern. That I be a friend of God, that when I'm all said and done here, God ultimately says, well done, my good and faithful servant, come ye forth into the kingdom. That's it. And this actually applies, you know, for the Taylor Marshall Patrick Coffin controversy. And it applies for the Ottawa truckers. And it applies for the for the People's Convoy getting ready to depart from Barstow. By the way, you can actually look that up. You'll find it. People's Convoy 2022. All sides. All sides of the argument. All sides of the resistance. All sides. The objective is to get the whole saint, the saint moniker, the servant of God moniker, the venerable moniker, the blessed moniker. Not necessarily recognized by the church, because, I mean, let's face it, look at some of the people they've recognized lately, and you you just kind of go, eh, well, maybe not so much. But that crown of glory that means that you've entered into the kingdom, that's, that's the thing. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're Saint, whether you're Benedict Joseph Labre or Saint Leo the Ninth, that's the part that matters. Remember that. Get ready for Lent. We're in the season. 
This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.